0: Reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. Coming to you every day.
1: Welcome back. To the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and today we have a very special live episode and recording coming at you from the Word of Mouth Radio Cafe in Santillaria, where on Sunday night last weekend, about a hundred people gathered to witness women storytelling. ...at its finest... um, ...in a night called Woman... ...and it was an incredible evening... ...of spoken word... ...poetic performances... ...comedy... ...stand-up comedy... Um, ...we had some women reading their letters... ...from the heart... ...that they'd written to their voice... um, ...during the previous days... ...at my voice activation retreat... um, ...that I ran Friday and Saturday... ...as well as Sunday... ...before the event itself... And they were encouraged on the first day of that event to write a letter to their voice. And the first prompt of the letter was, Dear Voice, I have been looking for you. Where did you go? And to hear those stories actually performed live on stage with a massive live audience, um, eight women that had come to me um, to the retreat to try to work on their instrument that, of course, is their voice. And you know, it's our one way to communicate to the world and to speak up and say what we need to say was a, a powerful moment and quite emotional and just quite astounding to actually witness them in all their glory. Um they weren't just good, they were unbelievable, and I felt utterly flawed, if I'm honest, um by those moments and their confidence and courageousness when they when they got up there. So it was an incredible night. And I am actually going to be bringing you some of those live recordings on next week's episode. So I'm very much looking forward to unleashing those into the ether um, and into your ears next week. But for today's episode, I'm super grateful to have had Rebecca Frayne, um filmmaker and activist joining me for our very first ever live recording. So not only were the people in the cafe able to hear it amplified, I also managed to record it. And some of the quality at the very, very beginning of the interview, I must confess, is a little bit tenuous. Um, There's some babies crashing around and there's some people munching on burgers and um, being a little bit noisy. But after the first few minutes, if you can make it past um, the quality... Of not just the audio but i think the conversation dramatically improves as we um, get past a few technical difficulties and find our feet so please do bear with us Um, very much looking forward to passing um, over into that live recording but um, just thank you so much for coming back and listening to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. It's always a pleasure to have you along on a Friday morning, um, wherever you may be in the world. It means so much to me that you come back each week and listen um, to this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, head over and see some of the photos from that night and some of the clips and footage ahead of next week to get a little uh, taster of what's to come on at the. Reset Rebel or over on our website www.theresetrebel.com Don't go
2: away. Guys, on back and get away with lies. No matter what it takes, always oh, gonna cry. The only thing that matters is you get what you decide. But I know for sure. Left done, and you finally get your debt repaid. And Avengers have on a cold play. Then you hear the roar of the shutdown when the world will stop without a sound. And a moment you will cry for help, and we only think
3: about ourselves. Oh, yeah.
1: Thank you so much for coming and joining us here at this uh, pink paradise that is the Word of Mouth Radio Cafe. Um, It's a real honour to be here this evening and to kick-start what's going to be an evening of spoken word for one man. Streams of consciousness, poetic performance, live music and letters from the heart. So all is welcome, anything goes, but one thing we do and would like to ask is to encourage you to listen um, when these women are going to be speaking this evening. Um, They are here to be heard and they come together with courage and an open heart. I'm really, really happy to be here, like I said. My name is Jo Ewell, i met, obviously, some of you. Um, but I would love to welcome my very first guest this evening to the stage for our very first live recording of The Reset Rebel here at the Word of Mouth Radio Café. So someone who recently inspired me um, when I got the chance to chat about her work as a women's storyteller, screenwriter, filmmaker, novelist, feminist, and environmental activist, Rebecca Frame. Thank you so much uh, for joining us here this evening at the Word of Mouth Radio Cafe. Thank you Jo, it's very, very lovely
0: to you here. We're in a great setting, it's very lovely
1: to see everyone. Thank you. Um, thank you also to Harry for uh, you know, twiddling the knobs back there and being <laughs> a legend for uh, inviting us to, all to be here. So Rebecca, let's start um, with why it is that you decided to focus on women's storytelling through your work. And how that evolved when you started out in the world of film? Um, I think, you know, it'd be interesting to find out what it was like um, when you started your career, you know, back then as a woman working for the BBC.
0: So I have been working for 40 years as a, a writer and a filmmaker. So I was setting out my career in the early 80s. And in the early so, 80s, things were not so great for women. We were We were pretty invisible and 2% of MPs were women. We were very visible in, in the public forum, in positions of power, in any position where we spoke uh, about, about any serious issues, really. So I started the BBC, I had come of age of the women's movement that was launched in 1970. Um, I had heard Gloria Steinem, I'd heard Jemaine Greer. I, you know, I, I, uh, there were a lot of feminist thinkers who were very inspirational to me as I was growing up. So I hit the BBC running and I thought that's great, you know, we're going to turn things around. And at that stage, women, uh, not only were they not being reflected front of camera, but they weren't being reflected behind the camera, so the production teams were all uh, there. Mm. So the male gaze was very well represented. Mm. And so the ideas that I came up with, I was taken on this, this is, uh, cut in the customer room I as an assistant film editor. I was full of fire and vim, and we're gonna change this, and so I came up with lots of ideas about extraordinary women, mm. and they all just disappeared without trace. Every, every idea I came up with, that just
1: was, no, I just know it was interesting. So it didn't go so well initially. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think, you know, what a time to be alive back in the 80s as well. (laughs) Um, Is there a moment in time that you maybe recall um, growing up that perhaps influenced your desire to craft women's stories through your work?
0: I'm not so sure that it was a specific incident, but a general sense of being invisible. So like everyone, I had history lessons, and we appeared to be invisible as women. It seemed like women had built the world and destroyed the world, and where was 50% of the population? It was just like a sort of growing a growing sense of um, mystification. And my mother was a very traditional uh, woman in the sense that she was at home, she was putting dinner on the table, she was absolutely livid and full of resentment, so that was quite interesting to watch. She had been very highly educated, but there were no career paths for her. Um, My father was honoured, he was the centre of the home, and it just sort of grew in me as a sort of general sense that it just didn't sit well with me. I was, um, you know, I was a little bit wayward, and it just... Um, I just felt more and more restless about how, how, it, how this situation has become so entrenched.
1: So what was the first female-led story um, that you actually covered when you were um, starting out?
0: Um, okay, so I'm at the BBC, I'm in, I'm in the cutting room, I'm burning with ideas, I'm burning to remedy the invisibility and silence of women. So I came up with a treatment about Annie Leibovitz, who people may or may not know here, American photographer, then inexplicably, much celebrated, but completely uncovered. Um, BBC not interested, and I was very, uh, I was really looking for women pathfinders, really. You know, who were the women who were telling these stories, who could inspire me, and who could I then, in turn, celebrate? Came up with a, I thought, what about Nora Ephron? She was writing these wonderful things, very funny, much celebrated, again, inexplicably, no one had covered her um bbc uninterested um this came up with an idea about lenny riefenstahl who was then in her 80s who wrote a, who made a documentary that some people say is a, one of the greatest documentaries ever made but she had worked with hitler and so she was controversial so i actually flew to munich gathered my pennies and went to see her and uh she said she would give the bbc unique access so i came back and i'm really excited and it was just a sort of yawn. It's just, just no one saw that there was any resonance. So when, when, by the time I left the BBC, in much frustration, I took these ideas with me and there, were a lot of, there was a spirit of change in, outside the BBC. And so those all were commissioned in time, but the first one was the profile of Annie Leibovitz. So that was really thrilling. I mean, she would turned out to be quite terrifying. Um, but she was just getting on with it, and it was great, and it was wonderful. I went on the road with her and uh, photographed her doing fashion shoots and more serious photojournalism and uh, interviewed Mick Jagger and Hunter S. Thompson, if he's still a name that people know he here, and Tina Brown, who's running Vanity Fair. And, and she had, you know, she had uh, caught two decades, the 1970s, on the trail, rock and roll, and the 1980s, the kind of celebrity culture. So, um, and, and then that was a sort of trigger of, I think, a tipping point in people beginning to understand that there were all these stories that weren't being told, letting more women like me tell them. Uh, and I suppose it becomes a virtuous circle that as we, we women start to hear these stories being told, we start to, to rise and, and learn
1: who we are and find our voice. So in terms of you know, what kind of voice you aspired to develop, you know, how would you describe that? in terms of the stories that you were, you know, aiming towards telling? Um, so yeah, the, the voice that I really,
0: really wanted to emulate, and I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was very uh, inspired by women cartoonists in my teenage years. So there's a British cartoonist called Posey Simmons. There's a wonderful uh, French cartoonist called Claire Bretaget. And they, uh, they had this wonderful voice of gentle satire um, and using that gentle voice of satire to, to look at so, the social conventions of the time, to unpack them, to make you see them afresh and new. And I really fell in love with that. So when I made, started to make documentaries, that's very much the, the approach. That always with fondness, not satirizing people unkindly, um, just, just working with them to find the sort of humor of the human condition, really and um, to try and sort of reflect the, what was happening in the world throughout the 80s, the 90s. Um, and I've con- obviously continued on for 40 years, so trying to reflect the stories as, a, as, as the times move. Um, and uh, I mean, my, uh, I have a website, so if anyone's interested in looking at these documentaries, they're all on this website, or most of them are, and they have live links. So
1: which is RebeccaFrame.com. Yes. And um, would, you, you know, would you say there was somebody specific in your life that actually encouraged you to speak up? You know, Maybe there was a moment or a conversation or something that happened in the past that you can possibly you know, cast your mind back to tell us about? Uh,
0: I, I think there was accumulation of voices like Gloria Steinem's, like the Germaine Greer's, um, women fiction writers, these two cartoonists. I think it was just an accumulation. Interestingly, since we talk about the voice, I had a very chronic phobia about public speaking. And so, w- if I had a voice, it was by telling documentaries, by writing novels, by writing screenplays. But I personally couldn't have done an event like this until um, 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, I wrote a novel, and I was booked to do a lot of literary festivals, and I was literally drenched in horror. I mean, it was completely irrational, <laughs> but I couldn't even bear to think about the event, let alone to actually do it. I realized it was a disaster. I, I was not able to do it. And in at sheer panic, not knowing what else to do, I booked a hypnotherapy session. I had no faith it would work. I chose a very nice woman. She turned up to randomly. I lay and went into a deep um, hypnotic state, and um, when I left, I just thought, well, you know, that's 60 euros, I'll never get back. <laughs> um, uh, but I realized, I realized when I stepped out of that session that I was no longer was dreading the first engagement that I had a week hence. And I thought, it would come back. And even as I was rising to my feet, I'm waiting for the old terror. <laughs> and, it's gone. It's really strange. And since then, I haven't really shut up. And my family actually wondered if there's a reverse. Is it possible to reverse it? Can we have our money back? <laughs> Can
1: we find this woman and just basically ask her to just do- enough? And so interesting. If you don't mind elaborating further on that particular topic, because that has definitely been part of my story in terms of you know spending most of my life in a cupboard with a microphone on my own, reading the news, or you know spending time podcasting, for example. So I haven't ever had to do this, and this has been my biggest fear, also for a really long time until I met Alex Gray, who encouraged me to come out of my public speaking shell, and you know, even being here at WOM um, not that long ago, maybe less than a year ago, getting up and speaking to Crazy P in front of an audience was like, I thought I was going to vomit shortly before. <laughs> I had to even just stand up for a nanosecond and I was like, two questions, it was, it was bad. And I'm wondering, like, you know, what do you think actually kind of causes that? Obviously, you know, there's the obvious scenario of actually standing here, but I've just spent some time with these wonderful women over here who've been on my voice activation retreat. And I think it's an interesting, you know, interesting question. Like, where, you know, what is that thing that we're so fearful of? It's such a good question. I find it really hard to
0: rationalise. And I think that hypnotherapy is very effective for what are essentially irrational fears. But, I mean, of course, I think we internalise a certain kind of desire to be compliant and uh, not offend. And, and by definition, when you stand up in a forum like this, you know, there are people who are going to be irritated by you or disagree with you. And so you put yourself in danger, I suppose. And there's a performance <laughs> element, which I have no ability at whatsoever. So I'd be very fascinated of the eight, is eight women here who just finished your course. And I gather you're all going to speak in a moment. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <it is. laughs> Um, and you know of course it is tremendously liberating we do all have something to say we do all have a right to say it I think also in the British education system anyway there was a tradition that you only speak if you're right and I think uh, you know what does that mean you're right Uh, And maybe in America I mean is here from I don't know whether she's thinking America it's different that you're encouraged you have a view let's hear it so so I you know I had to sort of lose those ghosts of ticking boxes
1: just hey
0: just go for it whatever
1: so I think the question that follows that for me, I think, the, has the mic gone off? It sounds like it might have done. Um, I wonder um, what, if you're a bit like me, wishing to elevate the voices of others through podcasting and storytelling and broadcasting, but not, you know, perhaps feeling that that level of confidence to tell your own story exists. So when, you know, obviously you had the hypnotherapy, but you say that was like maybe a moment that that changed for you when you suddenly felt... In, more in your power, perhaps. Like other than just just the hypnotherapy, was there something? Was there anything else that maybe embellished that feeling or lifted you up? Um, perhaps other women around you or something else. Well, I think in uh, in the hypnotherapy session, she uh, she was called Annie Jenkins. She's a
0: lovely woman, and she spoke a lot about you have to get out of your own way. You know, you're you're essentially blocking yourself, um, and you have something you want to say. Think about what you want to say. Don't worry about you. So I think that it's definitely easier if you have, I mean, you know, for me, this is a wonderfully moving event where you are encouraging women who want to speak and maybe are are, are stumbling about how to find that courage. I mean, that's just such a thrilling, and I feel very honoured to be part, to make any contribution to that. And I understand completely where people who are feeling anxious about it would be coming from. So, um, it's tremendously, it's tremendously liberating to be able to step up and, um, so I think that when she said that she said well, basically just telling me to get out of my own way was very helpful and basically telling me you know that, I, that I'm the message that it doesn't you know it doesn't matter about me
1: it definitely does matter about you because um <laughs> through a previous conversation we had I was very inspired as I, I said in the introduction and I feel there's a reason we're sitting here and in front of such a wonderful crowd of people to you know speak a little bit about your story and and one of the most poignant moments that you shared me with me um, previously was that you were born in 1962. I hope you don't mind me sharing that. Yeah, not so all you were 60 this year. I'm not sure when no, that I'm happened between our last meetings. So happy birthday! I don't know when it was, but um, you know the moment that you actually wrote about for the film Misbehaviour with Kira Knightley and Gugu mabatha raw was obviously that moment um, of the women's liberation movement taking over and kind of, you know, shutting down the Miss World competition. I'd love to know a little bit about, you know, where did the inspiration to actually unearth that story come from? Because I know for you that was a pretty big moment. Mm. Um, So I wrote,
0: as you say, a film called Misbehavior, and that film came about because 10 years ago I heard on the radio a piece about 1970 and the year that the women's movement was formally founded in the UK. I think it was a year or two after the United America... Chanley might know Um, and uh, so they got together two of the women demonstrators who that year got into the Miss World competition and one of the organizers of the competition and the woman who won it that year so they're bringing together a a moment of social history and I was just transfixed by it because I hadn't known the women's movement was formally founded in 1970 in the UK I didn't know they got into the Miss World competition so the Miss World competition to put it in context was the highest rated show in the world and in those days if you were performing in it you were either a blonde or a brunette and you were a combination of your breast, your waist and your hip, it was pretty out there. (laughs) And if you were in the final 15 you had the honour of appearing in your swimming costume and you all turned your back, you turned to, to the camera so that the camera could go down the line and show your backside and everyone at home, and it was going out live around the world, could decide who had the best backside. So the women's movement said, it's a cattle market, which indeed it was. Um, and so they got in and they flower-bombed. They didn't flower-bomb the contestants, they flower-bombed Bob Hope, who was a great figure of the right at that time and a supporter of the Vietnam War. And so uh, and it went out live and it put this newly-founded movement on the map. And, and were, until they kind of got it off air, desperately cut it off, it went out to Australia, to all the Commonwealth countries. So I was just so transfixed by this moment because I thought, this is, this is what you dream of as a writer, which is that it's a message in a, a very um, accessible story. It, it's funny, it's spirited, it's not, there's nothing worthy about it. So you can tell this story. You can come and see this film for all the wrong reasons. It's girls in swimming costumes, it's pretty girls, and, but you get a message. Uh, but, that was all great. And the, uh, the British Film Institute um, agreed to fund which was very nice of them, to write a draft. But A, I, I struggled to get the draft right. And B, to be honest, people paid lip service to, it's, yeah, it sounds a great idea, but no one really kind of was that actually interested. And um, so I kept doing draft after draft. And uh, then uh, Pathé bought it. Um, which was kind of good, except that most of their films probably sit on the shelf. But the, and the big thing that turned it, which was this huge seismic shift that we all know about, is the Women's Marches and Me Too. And when that happened, it suddenly became a very buzzy project. It was like, oh my God, you know, women's stories um, do have import. Women are really invested in, um, in hearing a political message about themselves. And from that moment, it just whoosh. And then Kira Knightley said that she would play the lead demonstrator. Uh, and, um, and I have to say, it did it very well And this lovely cast all gathered. And Apathy were great, because they really felt it was important that we were all women team. So it was only, it, it, the cast were pretty much all women. Um, I was uh, obviously a write, female writer, and the producer was a female uh, woman, and the director was the one, uh, Philip Lothal. So um, it was really great, except that uh, it opened in every cinema in the country last year, I've lost track, two years ago. It was so exciting, it was every cinema in the country, like it never happens, four days later, lockdown. So all through lockdown, Misbehaviour, which is the name of the film, was emblazoned on the front of every cinema in the UK, but no one could see it. But anyway, you can see it on iTunes or any of those platforms if you do want to see it, if you're remotely interested on in the basis of this conversation. It's, 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 it's very spirited, I would recommend it. <laughs>
1: I love the fact that when you described it um, a while back, you just sort of said that it was really about putting the patriarchy on the dock. And I think, you know, you also said that it was about unearthing the history of women's, you know, the women's liberation movement. And perhaps sometimes we can't understand certain circumstances in this lifetime because we are not educated on the history of women and where we've come from. And I felt like that was something that stood out when we spoke about it previously. And I wonder, you know, why that was so important to you to push that narrative forward. Well, I think you know why it was so interesting. Why is that a
0: story that hadn't been told? It, it's 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 female gaze, isn't it? I, it it fascinates me. It electrifies me. It gives me enough zest that I spend ten years writing and rewriting, and sitting across tables trying to get people to finance the film. So that's because I suppose I'm implicated by my gender in that story. And so it, you know, it, it's 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 just it's something that's shifting as women women's gaze is more and more represented. And post, I mean, Jane Campion. The wonderful um, feature film director described the, um, the Women's Marches as being akin to the Berlin Wall coming down. And I think it was a seismic change. I think there was a before and after. So, so just, you know, I think, and I, because I grew up with no history, so where is our history? We had history. We were doing things. And actually, a few years before Misbehaviour, my film came out, uh, Pathé also made a film called *Suffragette*, which is obviously about the suffragettes. So, you know, these are amazing stories in which women had agency and they were proactive. And it's the old cliche, which is so dull to say this, but it was fresh once, which is you can't become the thing you can't see. And, it, and, and, and I, hopefully, it seems really tired to say that now because things have changed so much. And if you're looking from Fleabag to um, what was that amazing series about Miss America? I don't know. You know, there are so many stories now, and there's so many women storytellers being allowed to tell their story. So it's so great that you guys are all going to be participating in this forum tonight.
1: I'd like to move on to a documentary that you also made, a film about Aung San Suu Kyi, obviously the Nobel Peace Peace Prize. I'd love to get my lips around this one. Nobel Peace Prize Laureate. There we go. And, you know, the film is called The Lady, and, you know, I love the story, but it's extremely tragic what happened um, to her. I mean, she's still alive, she's still with us, she's still in Burma, she's still, you know, under kind of internal lockdown um, and, yeah. you know, we've all just been through that, we know exactly how that one feels. And I think that story, again, is just another absolute classic and it was amazing that you put that out into the public domain for people to really kind of wrap their heads around what a difficult and tragic tale that really was. Would you like to kind of maybe Again, just give us a bit more of a background about yeah. why you wanted to kind of bring that to the fore. Yeah.
0: So it, it's actually a feature film, not a documentary. It's called The Lady. It was directed by a French director called Luc Basson. And that project came about, it's uh, Michelle Yeo plays Ong San Suu Kyi, if anyone knows her. She's, she was a martial arts star. It was a slightly odd and unlikely. So Ong San Suu Kyi, I'm sure you all know, was is, is this great uh, figurehead for change in, uh, in Burma for democracy and as you say has been under house arrest for many years was released briefly and now relatively briefly is back again so uh, i fell in love with this story again uh, because i went to burma with my um then boyfriend and we went to burma in 91 and we went because i didn't want to get married and he did and i had no idea why we thought it was going to be resolved in burma that's where we went And we had to go on a government tour. We had to have a government minder. It was really sobering what the military effect on that beautiful country was. But Aung San Suu Kyi had just been put under house arrest. And what people wanted to do when our government minder was far enough away was to sidle up to us and whisper about their only hope was this woman, who I'd never heard of. I knew nothing about her. But immediately again, a woman who has this sort of political resonance who seems to be the only hope for these people who are so demoralized. So I start to follow her story once I go home and I discover she's married to a British academic and she's left behind in the UK, both her husband and her two young sons. And what had happened was that she uh, had been born in Burma but then come to the UK, married, had children. She went back to Burma in the middle of a very uh, politically turbulent time to nurse her mother who was in hospital and the uprisings just took over and she decided she would stay and fight for democracy. So she had to, basically, it was an extraordinary feminist story, which is it's a woman who has to choose between political principle or her family. So um, I I just followed it, I followed it, and there came a point where I just thought, well, I should do something with this. So I, I, I got to know her British family, and um, her husband by, had by then died, and that had really heightened the pathos of the story, which is he knew he was dying. And it, she, they, the, British, the Burmese authorities always said to Aung San Suu Kyi, you can go, you can go anytime. Go back, go see your family. But she knew that would be it. She'd never be allowed back in. So when he was dying, they said, you better go and see him. And she knew that she really, this choice had come to a terrible point, which is that if she took their offer, that would be the end of her fight. So he applied, I can't remember what it was now, 52 times for permission to come and say goodbye and uh, no permission came. And so when she knew that it was not going to be possible that she said goodbye to him, um, I discovered her family said they had this film of her saying farewell and no one had seen it. So I, they, sh- they gave me the film and it was an extraordinary thing. So she basically went to the uh, British, ex- British Embassy in Rangoon and she sits down in front of the camera. And she's very formal. I don't know how many people have seen her speak. Very, um, you know, she's, she doesn't emote. Um, she's, you know, known as as a kind of steely character. So she switches on the camera. She thanks her husband, Michael Aris, for their marriage. She thanks him for the two children. And she says, I'm wearing your favorite orchid. She always has a flower in her hair. It's kind of the symbol. And then she starts to break down. So she gets up and clears frame. So, you know, again, it was a sort of human story behind this sort of very public facade is always something that, you know, draws, any, you know me in as as I learn about the story and hopefully an audience when you make the film. So yeah, that was a film that was made I think about I've slightly lost track 20, 15 20 years ago. Again, it's on a, any various platforms, um, but made in such a different context. Interestingly, Luke Besson is the absolute old school film director that you know that basically you know I think he's currently under charges from several different actresses and. <laughs> All of that stuff, the Harvey Weinstein stuff. So it was interesting actually to make two feature films and and mark the change in that the first one was completely a male team about a woman's story by a woman writer, me. And the second one was a woman's story by a woman writer told all by women. So, you know, we're moving
1: forward. We are moving forward without each other without. I think, um, obviously, you know, that must have been a very, very, very difficult decision for her to have made. And and the theme of today has been difficult conversations um, and perhaps casting our minds back on retreat and in workshops today with the wonderful women that I've spent some time with. And to think about perhaps a moment in time where we've had a difficult conversation and maybe that outcome hasn't been quite what we expected or hoped or desired. And um, to say those words and give voice to, the thing that perhaps we wished we could have said in that moment. And I think that that's been really powerful for us specifically today and to have a think about that. But I wonder for you, has there been a moment in time through, you know, your work in the media? I've definitely faced my own challenges whilst I was um, working in London as a journalist on many, many levels. But I wonder, you know, from your perspective, has that been something you've come up against and maybe something you would wish to share with us? Do you mean, have there been times I wasn't able to speak
0: before my, hip, my magic hypnotherapy cure. Is that what you're asking?
1: More like the difficult conversations that have come up through your work as a woman in the, as a woman storyteller.
0: The difficult conversations. Well, the difficult, co- I, no, I think it, it's not a difficult conversation. It, you know, I've been working for 40 years as a filmmaker. It, the, the problem wasn't they were difficult conversations. The problem was that, you know what, you didn't even get into the room. Yeah. I, I've been happy to have the difficult conversations. So I think it was more that you just didn't sit in the room that no one engaged. And they made the right noises because they knew, you know, to be PC enough. And so I think uh, that w- I would have actually welcomed a few difficult conversations. <laughs> and you never know the rooms you didn't sit in and the, and the, you know, the football matches that you didn't go along where a deal was struck and the golf game that you didn't. I mean, that was all, you know, I, that was the era I grew up in. Um, and now do I have different conversations? You know, I, I mean, all, all projects are a nightmare. They all create deep misery. <laughs> 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 and then you just pick yourself up and you do it again I hope it'll be better
1: well that's inspiring <laughs> because there was <were> no- <laughs> some of that you know going on um, the last few days and, and, that, and that's where you know that's where the lessons are that's where the growth is I mean it sounds really cheesy but yeah. it's true and you know that's if true. you can move beyond that's when the magic happens and you know I'd love to hear you know maybe there's just one little anecdote you can give us maybe about you know an example of how that how that panned out for you, when you did speak your truth, you did stand your ground, you did stand up and you know say what you needed to say. Uh, well, actually the first time, the, the toughest thing, public speaking,
0: this I like because we're talking, it's a conversation and everyone looks very nice. But when <laughs> I did do, uh, hey, when the lady came out, the film about Aung San Suu Kyi, I was asked to do a 15 minute talk that's called Five Times Fifteen, and in London they get different speakers to speak, so five speakers and they each speak for 15 minutes. Mm and you're not meant to have any notes, and you literally just go, so it's not this kind of chat. Yeah. Um, and, and it was it was in um, West London, Notting Hill, and it's very well attended by high power, people in the media. It was like basically my worst nightmare, to talk into a void. Um, so, I was, I was, despite the hypnotherapy, I was terrified. I really didn't do it well. In fact, I did also have secret notes I kept looking at. And my father had come, who's a very tough critic, and at the end he said, you've got to lose the notes, Rebecca.
1: But I was euphoric de- because I didn't die. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think the only way that I've learned to get up and do this kind of thing was like, well, what, you know, what's the worst that could happen on the other side of that? And I think if you do get up and do the thing that you're most terrified of, like sitting here with you, even though you're very lovely as well, um, yeah, it's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm just going to feel a bit, you know, embarrassed perhaps or difficult on the way home. And then tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up feeling amazing because I actually did the thing that I said I was going to do. And, you know, my experience thus far this year when I started Alex's workshop in January was that, yeah absolutely on the other side of that was absolute magic so i was very grateful for that opportunity for sure and i think you know is there any kind of advice then you know other than go to hypnotherapy that you could perhaps share with you know not maybe just any woman but anyone facing a difficult conversation to move beyond or you know any techniques that you've kind of employed i don't know maybe wellness techniques or anything that you've perhaps developed um, through that experience and um, to kind of you know put your big girl's pants on and just get on with it <laughs>
0: girl's pants, that's what I've been missing um, I i think it's self-reinforcing, that's what the hypnotherapist told me, so that if you speak and then you keep on speaking, which as I said earlier, my family are rather tired of me doing, it just becomes a self-fulfilling ability, which is that you you, you find you find a certain poise, it stops seeming like, you know, when it's not rare um, so I think just keep doing it and and, and um, um, and deep breathing. I mean, all the. I don't have anything, you know. <laughs> just breathe deep from the belly. All those things sort of shallow. I mean, you sound like you've got more tips. What are your tips, Joe? Oh.
1: <laughs> sure. <I think laughs> a Ask Alex and Ben. Yeah. They are my mentors in all of this for sure. They've helped me enormously. And I think just basically go through with the thing you said you're going to do. Whether you are literally on the floor dying of like terror, just stand up and do it anyway. Because once you get past that, a discruciating moment it gets better after that and it gets easier as you say every every single time and i would obviously love to end on a high and i have a habit of like bringing in that kind of magical happy thing at the end but i would like to also address the fact that for me to create this voice activation retreat specifically which is kind of like the wrap party tonight um to Say the words that perhaps women globally are unable to say, and I feel like there's been so many events. With the Roe v. Wade, we've had the women in Afghanistan kind of facing the challenges of being we, um, you know, put under the kind of Taliban rule. And now we have this incredible story going on in Iran, which is extremely sad, but also extremely inspiring in many, many ways to witness um, and see yeah. this uprising. And I just wondered, you know, kind of how. How you're feeling about that? Well, I think it's
0: really interesting to and moving, as you say, to see what's happening in Iran and to see how what women are doing in Iran is this sense of stepping forward, to have a new sense of themselves, a new sense of confidence about um, asserting what they wish to be the case. And what's really extraordinary is to see how in Afghanistan they're watching and the women are stepping up and being inspired. So again, it's it, you know, going back to being self-reinforcing. I think that the more women speak, and the more women have the courage to speak, the more other women have the courage to speak. And, and, and you know, we are in, I mean, uh, Joanna Macy talks in uh, environmental terms about the great turning. And I, you know, I think that's true. And I hope it happens as rapidly as the systems change needs to. But I think we're also in the great turning in terms of voices, you know, uh, in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, um, and and that's really thrilling. I mean, Misbehaviour, the film that came out last year, it's intersectional. You know, it wasn't enough to just tell the white point of view, the women's point of view. You know, it's 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 a film about race, and, and it also represents the, the male perspective, as indeed it should. And so, I think that um, you know, bring on intersectionality, bring on this this empathy um, that we are all having by by having a much wider perspective, being widely disseminated.
1: Thank you John well said. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> you oh, there you go. <laughs> is there time for q and a? I think there is absolutely time for Q&A, and, a, and um, yes, what a moment to throw this open to the floor. Who would like to perhaps take this wonderful microphone, hopefully it works, and ask a little question or two? Hello, and Hello.
3: thank you. I have a question um, for someone who works in film. What is your take on, on being silent, you know, and, and what power does that have in the industry, or does it have any at all? Like, we talk o- about body language, or just kind of saying how maybe if you keep silent, that speaks louder than words. Like, has there been an example in your work where something went right, or something went wrong, or maybe nothing at all, but then you notice a character, whether not fictional like a real character that you've had experience with that has maybe like kept silence instead of you know giving a, a critique or giving a long explanation for uh, a decision making i'm just so curious about that because for me it's showing up more and more like how silence becomes um so powerful and how you can walk in a room and be able to read the energy of yourself and, and maybe the, the topic of the evening if you're just kind of with yourself and staying silent and also observing others that take time to pause.
0: I'm trying to visualise um, how silence would be powerful in storytelling. Um, so I, I can't think of an analogy, you'd have to be more concrete. I mean I think in general um, if you're talking about specifically in, in specific film, which is the beginning of your question, you know, you are there to offer a perspective. And um, so, silence, I would say, would be an, an anathema. And I think it's so recent that we've been invited into that room that we are behoven to try and offer intelligence and, 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 and gravity. But I would say that silence is dangerous whilst we make a sort of transitionary period to making earning our place in that room and making our mark in that room.
1: Anyone else?
3: Good
2: question. No? Hi. Hi, my name's Michelle.
1: Ooh, okay. You might need to come closer. It's not that long. <laughs>
2: Not normally do I come up and say volunteer, but after
1: a sangria
2: (laughs) and a nice little red one starting here. Um, Okay, so I'm from America, and I've always thought the best way, I used to be shy when I was young. One day I just, at some point, just got over it. But basically, when I want something, it's all in my face. You'll see a face that says determination, and there's no going back. I don't know what that face looks like at all, but it has helped me in tremendous ways in my life. So I don't know how to tell anyone how to get there. But when you get fed up at some point, it doesn't matter what you say anymore, right? So um, that's my take on it.
0: Is your point that d- determination has helped you in life?
2: Yes. Do you want an example? Yeah. Uh, yes, please. Okay, I went over to uh, Maria it's in French Polynesia, Yeah. fell in love with the lagoon, went back a second time, went back a third time, and I went back on the second time, and my father picked me up when he... I told him, I said, I'm going back to Moray again. He goes, what's the matter? What's going on I said, oh, I fell in love with the little island. I said, there's no man involved. He said, well, that's good to know. And I said, well, I think I'm going to just stay there. Um, I called the French. I went to the French government, and they absolutely said, no, you can't do that. And I looked at her, and I said, I'm going, no matter what you say. Um, so anyhow, I packed my bags and went. Actually, I met the right guy, and he saw that face being determined the minute I walked on the door. Not knowing you know what that all meant, but he says you have to get a permit from the government, the president, and after three months I was was a yes. So determination is a huge thing. And don't ever give up your dreams, that's what I want
1: to say.
0: Uh, well, I mean, thank you for the sharing that story, and I mean just, just to endorse what you're saying, I, I absolutely if I the only probably the only thing that I really have to offer is to Terry like I, almost every idea that I've ever had commissioned has been turned down at least once, sometimes twice. And it's really been the ability to just pick myself up, dust myself down, digest a bit of glass, quite not often, <laughs> and then just go again. And so I agree. French Polynesia or films or novels or just keep, don't let anyone tell you no. And you will get there. You will. By and
1: large. Has anyone else, any more for any more? Going, going. Ah, I knew, I knew there'd be another one, another taker. i have to come and kneel on the cushion. Hello,
3: hi,
2: it's like story time.
1: <laughs> um, hi, I'm Alex, um, and I'd like to ask, at what point did you realize that you had, you know, a job to do, that you had a voice, that you actually, you could make a change? And, uh, at what point maybe did that also arise in childhood, but maybe you ignored it? Does that make sense?
0: Mm. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, So uh, I don't think that sadly there ever has been that point until maybe, I turned, as you said earlier, I turned 60 in May, and actually it was kind of a revelation to look back on 40 years. But until that point, I think one of the things that galvanized me was never feeling that I had reached that point, that I did have a voice, trying to find the voice you know, being allowed to say something, but I always had a regret. It could have been done better. It could have been done like this. So try again, do it again. Still there's regret. Okay, so go again. So that that always sort of pushing you on, pushing you on. So it was a, quite a surprise to me because obviously when you turn a decade, it's always a moment to reflect back and, and often and forward. And and actually a kind of piece came into me and I thought, I, I think I, I have been lucky. I have been allowed to pursue the subjects that I wanted to and to share them with people. Um, it took 40
3: years to get there. <laughs> you got
1: there in the end. <laughs> Thank you. And in that case, I just have one final question. If it's a chance after reaching the wonderful milestone of 60 to reflect backwards, what is coming up for, for the next 10 years before 70?
0: <laughs> okay, well, that's a good question. Finn, my son, is here. and we've Mother all Love. All... Hello. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm writing, I'm writing a book that's called Mother Love. I am <laughs> finishing a novel... Um, that, uh, what is that called at the moment? That's called Heat Wave. But um, very excitingly, Finn, my son, who's here, and I are working on a regenerative farm. Gabby is here somewhere, and that regenerative farm is uh, just up in the north here, and it's a wonderful, wonderful project, and it's a kind of storytelling project because it's modelling systems change, and it's um, it's about inspiring people so it's got a dry garden, it's got an eco-pond, so it's looking at, uh, at how we can do things differently. Um, and we planted lots of trees and green manure, and if anyone wants to come see it, they'll warmly welcome, I think Gabby might be organizing something. So that's a whole different way of storytelling, and that really, really has excited me hugely. And Finn and I are still speaking, which is a
1: great relief. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's,
1: that's amazing. Families working together, it's a beautiful thing. And thank you, Rebecca, so, so much for joining us and for making the time yeah, to come you. here this evening. It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure again to hear your wonderful words. Thank you. um, so thank you for joining us, and thank you everybody for-
0: Reset Rebel, coming to you every day.